You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post. The first of seven public hearings on the January 6th select of this January 6th select committee kicked off last night. And what was presented to the American people was spectacular evidence that American democracy was deliberately attacked. Joining me now, Leanne Caldwell, Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and co-author of the early 202 newsletter. Welcome, Leanne, to First Look. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm so glad to be here. So there's so many stunning revelations last night. What were the, what were the headlines for you from last night's hearings? Oh, goodness. Yeah, the committee actually did a better than I expected job last night. Perhaps my expectations were so low after covering this hearing or this committee for so long. But uh, they really laid out what the is going to happen over the next few weeks in these committee hearings. And at the center of it, they say, is the former president, Donald Trump, that he they laid out from the very beginning, they made it very clear that he was told on many occasions that he did not win the election. He was told that by his top advisors. He was told that by his own attorney general and that even his daughter believed that he did not win the election. And still, the committee says that he moved forward with this scheme, with this plan to stay in power on January 6th. And so what the committee did a really effective job of is using the the depositions video of his top advisors in their own words. It was, it was kind of a really good tactic instead of the lawmakers reading from these depositions. Instead, they played the video from these depositions. And so there was no room for interpretation. Of course, it was just snippets, but I think it did a good job of painting the picture of of the pushback that the former president got in the lead up to January 6th. And we also heard from, from we got live testimony uh, yesterday from two witnesses, dramatic testimony from Nick Quested, the British filmmaker who was embedded with the Proud Boys and off, uh, Capitol Hill police officer Caroline Edwards. Here's Officer Edwards in her own words. What I saw was just a, a war scene. It was something like I'd seen out of the movies. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. There were officers on the ground, um, you know, they were bleeding, they were throwing up, they were, you know, they had, uh, I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. Leanne, talk about the, the significance of that testimony. Yeah, it was it was tragic. Um, that testimony. So it was interesting because while the committee on the one hand, as we just discussed, really tried to paint the picture of how the president, the former president, was at the center of this. They also used this really emotional, gripping testimony to paint a picture of what happened on that day and the trauma that these officers went through. And especially Caroline Anderson, she had dealt directly with the with the far right extremists, the Proud Boys and their group, um, she was confronted them, and so they wanted the public to be reminded that this was not a normal tourist day at the Capitol, 
but that officers were in battle. They were in battle to protect the building, to protect the democracy. And I think that she did, you know, her her testimony was just really astonishing. Uh, among the things we also saw was video of the moment when she was attacked and um, hit her head and was unconscious on the on the Capitol steps. And I want to correct something that I said in the intro. Um, there are eight total hearings. So the first of eight hearings kicked off last night. The second one will be on Monday morning at 10 a.m. Leanne, you interviewed Congressman Jamie Raskin. Um, who was part of the second impeachment. He is on the January 6th Select Committee. You interviewed him on Monday for Post Live, and you asked him if then-Vice President Mike Pence's life was in danger that day, to which he cryptically replied, quote, watch the hearings. We watched the hearings, Leanne. What did they reveal in that regard? Well, the committee last night foreshadowed, I think, what they're going to get into when Last night, they said that when Donald Trump was told that, um, you know, Mike Pence's life could be in danger, that Donald Trump responded, well, maybe he deserves it. And so that we know that the third, the fourth hearing, excuse me, that's going to be on Thursday is going to focus a lot on Mike Pence. And so I suspect they will get a lot deeper into that. We are going to hear from Greg J. Jacobs, one of Pence's top uh, legal counsels leading up to January 6th, where he was firm pushing back against the president's team, saying that Mike Pence has no authority to overturn the elections during the Electoral College counting of the votes or certification of the votes on January 6th. And uh, and he was firm with the vice president that he had no role as well. Uh, we're also waiting to see if we're going to hear from other people of, of Mike Pence's team, including his chief of staff, Mark Short. And there's still some speculation that perhaps Mike Pence will testify. I don't think it's going to happen. But Thursday, I think, is going to be where we hear a lot more about Mike Pence's role that day and the threat to his life. And in the front page story, uh, in the story on the front page of the Washington Post this morning, when that, when Liz Cheney read that, um, that uh, Donald Trump said Mike Pence deserve, maybe he deserves it. There was an audible gasp in the mm-hmm. hearing room when that was read aloud. H- how much of an earthquake was Congresswoman Cheney's revelation that Congressman Scott Perry, among other members of Congress, sought pardons? from Donald Trump in the days after the January 6th insurrection. Yeah, as someone who covers Congress, um, that is a storyline that I am extremely interested in because we know that Scott Perry and others, including, I I don't want to lump Scott Perry and Kevin McCarthy in the same boat on their roles on January 6th, but they were both subpoenaed by the January 6th Select Committee to provide information and neither one have done so. And so the fact that, again, the committee last night teased that Scott Perry and perhaps others asked for pardons leading up to January 6th, the importance of that is because that insinuates that there is a recognition by Scott Perry and others that what they were doing was wrong and perhaps illegal. And so despite that, they still moved forward um, there were reporters last night, including our colleagues at the Washington Post, uh, Jackie Alemany and Mariana Sotomayor, who asked 
um, the committee members after the hearing to provide more information about those pardons, and they wouldn't do so yet. So once again, I suspect that's going to be a, a big storyline moving forward. The, the Post had a story this week that the Secret Service explored the possibility of securing a route to the Capitol uh, on January 6th so that Trump could join the protesters. What do we know about why he wanted mm -hmm. to do that? Yeah, well, what the committee, I think, is going to try to connect is that Donald Trump was very involved in the the directing people to the Capitol. Um, that is very likely going to be in the last two hearings where they the committee members say that they are going to lead up um, to what happened on that day, but also on an hour by hour, minute by minute on January 6th. And I think that it's important for the committee to show that Donald Trump was not, it, it wasn't coincidental that he was taking to Twitter and calling his followers to come to Washington, that it wasn't coincidental that he was on the ellipsis on January 6th uh, saying that they need to fight and that they need to, to, to march to the Capitol. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how all of this unfolds. But the central point of the committee is to paint, to connect Donald Trump to all of these actions, that it did not happen in a vacuum, that it had a leader. You know, one of the things that came out of the hearing that I, that I heard that Liz Cheney talked about was, we know about there's a one meeting between the president, between then President Trump, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Mike Flynn in the Oval Office. But what Congresswoman Cheney uh, revealed was that there was another meeting between Trump and those folks that Trump's own staff did not know about. And they yeah. ran to the Oval to get into the room. And what was significant about that was that apparently about an hour or so after that secret meeting was when Donald Trump put out that tweet, the infamous tweet, where at the end it's, you know, come to Washington, will be wild. Leanne Caldwell, you know, you and I could talk all day about, about um, just hearing number one, but we've got seven more to go apparently. So we will see you soon. Leanne Caldwell, anchor at Washington Post Live and co-author of the early 202 newsletter. Thank you for coming to First Look and have a good weekend. Thanks, you too, Jonathan. We're going to keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post deputy editorial page editor Ruth Marcus and Washington Post columnist George Will. Welcome back to First Look. Glad to be Good with morning, you. Jonathan. So in, in a hearing filled with dramatic testimony, one of the most searing remarks came from Vice Chair Liz Cheney. Let's have a listen. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. George, I'll start with you. Just overall, your reactions to um, the first hearing of the January 6th Select Committee. Well, you just referred to it, as we all do, as a hearing. But a hearing usually means that the committee is gathered to hear something. 
this was a telling last night, not a hearing. They wanted to tell the country something that it thinks the country needs to know. And the informing function of Congress is a legitimate one. You don't need to have a clear legislative purpose uh, to, ha to have a, a hearing like this. Their problem was that we basically know the story. This isn't like Watergate. Watergate wanted to learn something. That was a hearing uh, typified by Howard Baker's famous question. The Tennessee Republican senator said, the question is, what did the president know and when did he know it? And the committee, the Watergate committee set about trying to find things. Indeed, they found in the process of their inquiry the existence of the Oval Office taping system, and that was the end of the Nixon presidency. The, the committee last night, I, I think, did something excellent. They said, look, we, we all saw the burglary, if you will, the, the heart of the Watergate was a burglary. We saw the riot. And my sense is that in the next seven hearings, they're going to work backward to establish the planning that went into this, perhaps the financing that went into this, and the number of people involved. This, again, will not surprise us. I think it's, it's a mistake to say, gosh, we're seeing evidence of Donald Trump's planning. Donald Trump couldn't plan breakfast. We know that Donald Trump's mind flits about uh, like a, a, a bee around flowers. I don't think he really plans things. I think he improvised on that day and will look plenty guilty, but I think it's, again, wrong to ascribe to him forethought. Ruth, um, a problem, a mistake? Um, it, it, does it matter that we're not, quote unquote, learning anything new? Isn't it important that we get these things on the record? A hundred percent, I think it's important that we get these things on the record. And I think that George and I are in agreement on that. But I think we're also in agreement that this is horrifying what we heard and witnessed last night, whether it was a hearing or a telling. Uh, it's um, chilling what the president, um, and I would disagree slightly with George because he's not a very good planner, but he is a planner and a plotter, and he had enough intent to undo the known results of the election uh, to hold him morally responsible, if not criminally responsible and potentially criminally responsible. But my main takeaway from last night and what appears to um, be coming is not just the horrifying and chilling aspect of it, but the frustratingly incomplete aspect of it. This is not Watergate in the sense that in Watergate, as George noted, we had the tapes. In Watergate, we had testimony, um, important testimony from people who were right around the president himself. Here, and this is not a criticism in any way of the committee, which has done its damnedest to try to get this information, but they aren't able to get Mark Meadows. They aren't able, shamefully, to get Kevin McCarthy or Scott Perry or others at the very center. And so they're doing what investigators and prosecutors have to do, which is they're working from people who are a ring away from the absolute inside. And we are getting a damning story, but and it's important to get that, but it's also frustrating that we're not getting more. You talk about the significance of former Attorney General uh, William Barr's blunt assessment that the voter fraud, voter fraud charges that Donald Trump was leveling at the time 
were a quote barnyard expletive, George. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Barr is agreeably blunt, uh, and what he said will make no difference, whatever, to the people. I guess they're what seventy percent of the self-described Republicans think the election was in some sense stolen. And people who still believe that after 60-some court defeats of this proposition aren't going to be dissuaded by the fact that Bill Barr says this. All this will mean to those people is that Bill Barr is part of the deep state, that he too has gone over to the dark side, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ruth, um, and I understand, I understand what you're, what, oh, George, did you have more to say? I'm sorry. That's okay. quite right. I, 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 I understand what, what George is saying in terms of, you know, whatever Bill Barr says isn't going to change the minds of, of Trump supporters. But does it matter to change the mind of, of Trump supporters? Again, I keep coming back to, isn't it important that we have what he says on the record, if not um, for the immediate future, but for history? Uh I am a very big believer, along with you, that the importance here is something that uh, Liz Cheney invoked, which is the memory of history and the legacy of the, the record of this in history. And so it, if the goal of this hearing is to change minds, it is almost certain for the reasons that George said to fail. I don't think that's the goal of the hearing. The goal of the hearing is to amass evidence, expand the available evidence, get it out on the record in one place. I would point out that um, that barnyard expl expletive bull, I'm not going to say the whole word, is something that we've heard from uh, the former attorney general before as he went on his book tour. So it is powerful to hear it. It was powerful to hear it last night. But we knew that was his assessment really from the moment um, even before he resigned as attorney general. Jonathan, right. Let's I, talk. yeah, go ahead, George. Yeah, uh, we, we've been talking about how this is some ways in some ways not analogous to the Watergate hearings. It's also analogous to the Warren Commission after the Kennedy assassination. There were all kinds of rumors and conspiracy theories and speculations going around, and it was very important that the government put the prestige of former Chief Justice Earl Warren and others behind refuting those the second gunman on the grassy knoll and all of that. Uh, so the Warren Commission was basically, as, as both you and Ruth are saying, was to get the, build the record and doing so to throw some of the things off the record permanently, that there was a vast conspiracy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so this, this is a necessary and a sufficient justification for what the committee is doing. You know, one more thing that we, we heard, and um, there was reporting about this at the time, was, you know, Congresswoman Liz Cheney um, saying during the hearing last night that, that Trump's reaction to the hang Mike Pence chant was, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. We'll love um, your reaction to that, uh, Ruth. Has a president of the United States, a sitting president of the United States, ever said a more chilling, more irresponsible, honestly, more evil thing than that? I can't think of one. That's my reaction. George? 
Well, I agree if you take him seriously, but it's we have to understand he just he, this is just noise from Mr. Trump. He just says these things. Uh, again, I, I, I'm just reluctant to ascribe to him thought and planning and seriousness. Uh, there, there's a, a deep element to him that should be. He is invested with all of the power of the commander in chief and the president of the United States to. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with what you're saying about his limits and 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 kind of mental incapacity. But that does not excuse. I don't think we disagree. Actually, that just does not excuse it in any way. No, I'm not excusing it. All I'm saying is, I it has limited capacity to frighten me because there's no follow through from him. I mean, I, I don't know, ever since he came down that escalator on June 16th, 2015, I have taken him seriously and literally. And to hear that he said the vice president of the United States deserved the hang Mike Pence chant and what that could have resulted in, um, I agree with with Ruth was evil. Ruth, you're the, George, I don't think, are you a lawyer? No. Okay, can, I, Ruth I is a like lawyer. George gets, I, without um, denigrating George in any way by ascribing a law degree to him, he gets to play a lawyer on first look and on the pages of the Washington Post op-ed page as much as he right. wants because he does a lot of law. Right. Well, I, I bring that up because you're the lawyer on the panel, Ruth, and I'm just wondering the significance of Vice Chair Cheney revealing that Congressman Scott Perry and other members of Congress sought a pardon from then President Trump in the aftermath of January 6th. I'm, I'm not sure that it has legal significance as much as it has moral significance. An understanding and an, a tacit, if not explicit, acknowledgement that they understood that what they were doing was wrong, that what they were doing could, if um, fully understood, expose themselves to legal liability, um, people who are proud of their behavior don't seek pardons for it. Uh, what do you make of that that revelation, George? A guilty mind on their part, as Ruth says. Uh, and and I, I think when they looked around and saw what had happened and what they'd been swept up in, this kind of whirlwind, uh, they said, this is not going to look good <laughs> tomorrow morning. So uh, I understand why they did it. Uh, Ruth's quite right that they realized that they had done something pretty awful. Uh, mobs do that. I mean, mobs are, are for the, while they're mobs, are intoxicated. And this was the beginning of the hangover. George, I would love to say that I heard everything that you said, but we had a little bit of a, a hiccup. <laughs> on this end. Um, so uh, I'm just going to think that what you said is, as usual, erudite and, and worthy of consideration. Ruth, um, let's talk about the, the switch gears and talk about Justice Kavanaugh, because there was a serious threat um, to the Supreme Court justice this week after police nabbed an armed man who made his way to Justice Kavanaugh's home with the intent to kill him. You wrote a column about the circumstances surrounding this, including the protests in front of Kavanaugh's homes, the, the, the peaceful protests. What is the balance between First Amendment right to protest versus 
personal security for public officials like judges? Well, I, I think that w while I disagree um, morally and instrumentally with the tactic of protesting at justices' ho homes, uh, to expand on that, I think it's a I think it's unnecessary and counterproductive and uncivil. Uh, and I know I'm going to annoy a lot of people by saying that to protest at justices' homes. However, this what allegedly happened in the plotting of this California man to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice because he disagreed with where it appears Justice Kavanaugh is coming out on Roe, where he thought Justice Kavanaugh, by the way, was coming out on gun regulation. That is entirely different from what had been peaceful, if unwise and uncivil protests at Justice Kavanaugh's home. We need to take this really, really seriously. We need to make sure that justices and their families, and if necessary, their clerks, are given enough protection, uh, all the protection that is necessary to prevent anything like this from happening, that the Supreme Court police has the necessary, not just money, but the necessary powers to take care of them. And then we need to step back and think, what is it about our culture and our rhetoric and our language and our anger that impels people on both sides. Look, the, it would be horrible, horrible, horrible if any sitting Supreme Court justice or former Supreme Court justice um, were attacked or assassinated. It is also true that people on the other side from this deranged individual have done terrible things like bombing abortion clinics or killing abortion providers. All of this is terrible, and we need to take a look at our rhetoric and understand two things simultaneously. Crazy people on both sides will do crazy things, but also we need to be careful not to ramp help, not to contribute in ramping them up. George, I'd love your your take. Chuck Schumer uh, addressed a crowd protesting in front of the Supreme Court across the street from where Chuck Schumer works, in which he said, mentioning Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh by name, that Kavanaugh was going to reap the whirlwind if he didn't mend his ways. This, again, Ruth's right. I mean, we are just injecting as a kind of IV drip into the veins of the country, a poison of, of acceptable rhetoric that didn't used to be acceptable. And we should understand. A few days ago, a retired judge in Wisconsin was assassinated assassinated by someone who seems to have had a list of people he wanted to assassinate, including the governor of Michigan and uh, Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell. And we just have to begin to take seriously the fact that, that there are 331 million people in this country, small number of them are highly suggestible and stark raving mad. And uh, we, we have to be careful uh, not to add to the atmosphere that prompts these people to act out. Um, and Ruth yeah. mentions, and Ruth mentions Senator Schumer's Schumer's comments. Ruth, did you want to jump in again? Well, no, I meant I didn't just mention Senator Schumer's comments. I uh, criticized them. That is not helpful. It is not appropriate. It uh, you can't draw a direct line from that to this event, but you can say in a country that has deranged people, we do not need to be spinning them up. I also mentioned in the column that I wrote that um, eerily, oddly, um, 
Justice Kavanaugh himself has used that same reap the whirlwind language about Democrats at his confirmation hearings. So I think there is um, there is blame aplenty, and it it comes from uh, excesses on both sides. Um, George, I want to end this conversation by switching gears one more time, real quick, to Ukraine because there is a war going on. Um, you had a column this week warning supporters of Ukraine against hesitancy in supporting. Um, that beleaguered country, what's your concern? My concern is that Putin may be proven right in his obvious assumption that the West does not have the stamina uh, that he has as an autocrat who can, can press ahead unrestrained by public opinion. This week, French President uh, Macron said, we must be careful not to humiliate Putin. I don't think that's really the the principal worry we ought to have at this point. We ought to help the Ukrainians win defining victory uh, modestly as something like the status quo ante with regard to the territorial integrity of Ukraine. Let's worry about that before we worry about uh, Putin's psyche. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're gonna, leave it, we're gonna leave it there. George Will, Ruth Marcus, thank you both as always very much for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.